a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. Guys, this episode is a bucket list conversation for yours truly. This is the one guy that has been the most impactful architect for my perception as a human being, as an entity creating its reality. Uh, this is the gentleman that wrote the book that I got about 20 years ago, damn near right after he wrote it, uh, called Conversations with God. Now, this has changed my perception. This is easily the most quoted author by me personally. I absolutely adore this man. He did not disappoint, guys. You know, when you meet people you value and you cherish and uh, you kind of have expectations and they let you down. This was not that at all. He exceeded every expectation. He is just as warm, just as wise, uh, just as wonderful as you can imagine. Now, uh, his new book, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love, is something that we discuss on this, as well as just wonderful topics that you guys can take throughout your day. Like I said, I, I can't thank uh, him enough. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, Mr. Neil Donald Walsh. Incredibly grateful to have the great and powerful Neil Donald Walsh on the show with us today. Neil, how are you today, sir? I'm incredibly grateful to be with the great and powerful Brandon Thomas. Brandon, how are you doing today? Every day above ground is a great day, sir. And I always say that because I always mean it. Well, I'm glad that it is a great day for you because you're a great human being. How may I serve you? Uh, you can just sit down with me to have a wonderful conversation for about the next hour or so and uh, impact my life even more in this next hour as you have for the past 20 years of my life. Uh, you were the guy that wrote the book that changed my perception on everything. You made me realize that things are possible beyond what I'd previously understood, uh, as millions of people have come to know you as. Uh, your book, uh, The First Conversations with God, is probably the most bought and given away book by me. Now, you've sold millions of copies. I probably at least bought 10,000 of those and gave them out uh, because I think it should be mandatory reading for everyone. I, like I said, sir, changed my life. I just wanted to thank you, uh, kind of face-to-face, -face, uh, for being such a massive, massive impact on me uh, and all the people that I come across, because I quote you probably more than any author. You're very, you're very kind, Brandon, and those are nice words to say to me, and I appreciate them very much. I, I, I must tell you, uh, without wanting to, to seem to be falsely mod modest, but I, I just want to tell you that I'm very clear that it had very little to do with me on a, on a personal level. Um, it's, it's all about the messages that I was um, given to share, uh, and I did share them as I was invited to do, uh, and they have touched uh, the lives of uh, people uh, around the world. 
but they're not my thoughts. In fact, they're so much not my thoughts. I mean, they are they aren't my thoughts now, now that I've received them. But they were never uh, any thoughts that I had before I had this experience, and they were so much unlike my thoughts that I was really scared when I was first receiving some of this uh, information. I was thinking, gosh, you know, what am I? trafficking with the devil or 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 you know am i getting into blasphemy or heresy apostasy you know what's going on here and because the the thoughts that were coming to me that made their way into the dialogue which by the way includes everything nothing was left out uh, the back and forth dialogue appears in the books exactly as i received it i didn't edit a single sentence or a single word out but the information that i was receiving as i received it seemed to violate actually not be different from but actually directly violate much of what i was taught and told as a child about god about life and about even about myself who i am and how I interact with all the rest of it that's going on around here. So it was a shock to me. Many of the uh, commentaries uh, in the uh, dialogue were shocking to me. And I have to tell you that um, they, they changed my life as well. So I'm, I'm happy to know that you feel that you benefited from them. And thank you for those very kind words. But I want people who are watching us and listening to us right now to know one thing about me. I don't see myself as being super duper special in any way, truly. Again, I'm not being falsely modest. I'm just a regular guy, now kind of an older guy. I'm approaching 80. Uh, and But I don't feel in any way uh, different from any of you. In fact, you know what uh, the main message of Conversations with God is? Um, I'm talking to everyone all the time, she said. Uh, the question is not, to whom am I talking? The question is, who's listening? So I don't even feel unusual in that respect. But I do think that I did something that most people don't do. I kept a record. I actually put down on, on paper what I was receiving, what I was hearing, the inspirations that I was uh, uh, invited to embrace. Uh, and I, I noticed then that all of us are having those kinds of uh, inspirations. We're simply calling them something else, women's intuition or a sudden epiphany or a brilliant idea or a stroke of genius or whatever words we can find uh, that, that cult, our culture will allow us to use because we have been culturalized away from imagining that God would be talking directly to us. So, but that's the only difference between me and the rest of you guys out there. I simply took down uh, the ideas that I was receiving. That's all. Well, and I, I do want to get to that idea and why maybe that's a possibility that that happened. Also, we are going to discuss your new book, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love. Phenomenal. Add it to the list of amazing works that you have done. It is a true blessing. I went through it. I poured over. I absolutely love it in true form. You surprise me. You keep you keep drumming up the emotions that are necessary for all of us to feel comforted in the words. And it's it's something that I don't it, me for me personally. Religion didn't offer the kind of comfort that this message does. I was raised Southern Baptist, and it uh, it it works for some people. It works great for those people. To me, the division of it, um, the the things that I could as a human, as a mere mortal man, kind of look at and say, well, I don't. I think God's bigger than that. I think we're we're kind of dumbing down the idea of God. Maybe is more of a control mechanism. 
mechanism. We don't have to go down that road if you don't want to. But I did want to ask you about, in your book, you use the words uh, idea hero. Now, you yourself are an idea hero, and you truly are. So if you don't mind, tell us about how those ideas came to you to begin with, just kind of an origin story, and then we'll move on from there, sir. Well, let me uh, first of all explain what I mean by idea hero. Uh, In the book, The God Solution, I talk about people who have been, in fact, uh, idea heroes. That is, people who have placed before uh, humanity, if you will, placed before their peers, their, their friends, their neighbors, all those who knew them, and their professional associates had placed before the world ideas that they knew ahead of time would not be widely accepted, would probably be roundly criticized, and could even be the ruination of them in some cases, and in at least one case it was. Uh, Dr. Semmelweis, um, Ignaz Semmelweis, who was a physician in the hospital, and I think it was in Hungary, um, was actually drummed out of the medical profession for daring to suggest that, that doctors should sterilize their hands between medical procedures. Before that time, they were going from, you know, the literally going from the morgue into the birthing ward and birthing babies without without sterilizing their hands because they didn't believe in a thing called germs. Dr. Semmelweis suggested that there is, there is an element that we are calling now today germs, and they didn't believe it. So they, they said he was crazy and he actually died in an insane asylum. So he gave up his profession, his reputation, and he even lost his mind because he couldn't get anybody to agree with him. He's one of many uh, idea heroes. Galileo was another one. Galileo said, of course, as you know, that the earth revolved around the sun, even though the Catholic Church taught that the sun revolves around the earth and that the earth is the center uh, of our universe. So, and, and the Catholic Church excommunicated Galileo And it took 350 years for the church to finally admit, and they did reluctantly, but they finally admitted, you know, we were wrong. Actually, the earth revolves around the sun, and we were wrong to to, um, excommunicate Galileo and to suggest that he was going straight to hell. So we, we remove his excommunication and presume that he has not gone to hell and that he's gone to heaven. Uh, so there are, we, we could make a list as long as your arm of idea heroes. And what I'm suggesting in the book is that we all become idea heroes by placing for, before humanity a brand new notion, a brand new definition of God. But to answer your question directly, because you may be thinking, gosh, I asked this guy a question, it takes me 25 minutes to even begin to get to the answer. The, the answer to your question is, it began when my life was falling apart. I was, um, you know, around around 50 years old, 49 years old to be exact, and everything in my life, uh, Brandon, was was falling apart. My relationship was falling apart. My health was was deteriorating rapidly. Uh, my my job, uh, I lost my job. Actually, I was I was let go or laid off. It was downsized, as they said in those days, and so I so it was affecting every area of my life. Now most people. 
you know, when they're having a, a little problem in the relationship, but maybe their work is going okay and they feel healthy, or when they're having a little health problem, maybe the relationship is going okay and the work is good. But here, all three, I, I got the triple whammy, all three aspects of my life at the same time in the same month, my relationship, my world of work and my health. And then now, wait till you hear this, to make matters worse, some gentleman, an older gentleman, I say older because now I'm his age, but at the time, this is 25, 30 years ago, he turned in front of me as I was driving down a city street. Thank goodness it wasn't a highway where I was going 65, but I was doing like, you know, 35, 40 miles an hour on a city street. And this gentleman turned in front of me, made a left turn that he should not have made. He thought he had enough time and he didn't. And he crashed right into me. The, the police indicated in their police report that it was clearly his fault. He made a bad turn, but the insurance company decided it didn't want to you know, settle with me. They, they took two years to settle with me, uh, to come to an agreement uh, and to whittle me down on what uh, myself and our attorneys were asking for. I broke my neck in that accident is the point. I suffered a broken neck, Brandon, and not a frac not a hairline fracture. Uh, I remember the wording of the doctor's report to this day. The wording said, a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seven cervical vertebrae posteriorly. In other words, not a hairline fracture, a three-quarter inch fracture in my neck, big enough to put a pencil through. Now, when you suffer that kind of fracture, the surgeons were saying, you know, Neil, not to scare you, but... Most people die yeah, with that yeah. kind of a major fracture. And if they don't die, they wind up being paralyzed for the rest of their life. You somehow escaped both. It's going to take you a while to rehabilitate your neck, but but you somehow escaped both. And they gave me a Philadelphia collar, a therapeutic device that I wound up wearing for the next year and a half. And I was going to therapy daily for about four months, and then three times a week, and then one time a week, and so forth as the year and a half went by. It did take me 18 months to get even minimal range of motion back. Still can't turn my neck this way too much, but I have pretty much range of motion to my right. Why am I telling you all this personal story? Because that's what caused me. You asked, you know, how did this all happen? I sat down. I was, you know, when I was not giving, uh, I couldn't work. They, they, the doctors didn't even want me to reach into the refrigerator and do so much as grab a half gallon of milk. They said, if you grab a half gallon of milk with your arm extended that far, you're going to re-injure your neck. So you can't, so I could do virtually nothing. I was out of a job as a result. No insurance money to cover me for those months. And I wound up with running through my savings in about three months, and I was out of, I was out of money. I wound up having to live on the sidewalk. I was what, what they call in America a street person, and I lived on the sidewalk for two weeks shy of a year. And finally, things began to come together a bit, and I got off the sidewalk. But I called out to God at that point in my life. Because you know, I thought I was a person with a reasonable amount of talent, a reasonable amount of intelligence. I never went to college, but I finished with pretty good grades in high school. And I had pretty much of a sense of, you know, what's going on in the world. I, I, I thought of myself, I tried to think of myself as a relatively nice person as well, someone who wouldn't deliberately harm or hurt anybody. So with all of this you know, going for me, so to speak, I remember sitting there calling out to God. I'm sitting there, you know, with not a nickel to my name. Mind you, I spent a year on the sidewalk with my hand out, asking people on the street. I can still remember the feeling. Would you have a couple of coins? Anything. 
anything would help. Because if I could get a quarter or a dime or a nickel or a half dollar from eight or 10 people, by golly, I could get a bag of French fries and I could exist another day. I was sleeping on the ground outside, but at least I could get some, something in my belly. And that was a huge victory for me to be able to eat every day, much less plan what I was going to eat next week. Forget about it. So when I finally overcame all of that, I can remember sitting there in the little apartment that I wound up getting, a little cottage record. It was a cottage in the back of somebody's house. And I said to God, okay, all right, I got it. Obviously, there's something here I don't understand. Obviously, there's, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I thought I was doing everything more or less right. I'm not a bad person. What is it that I don't understand here? What does it take to make life work? And I remember, this is a confession I have to make. I've told people publicly this, but I sat there and I said, you know what? I don't want to play anymore. I'm out of here. I am out. I mean, if this, I was 50 years old. I'm not even 35 or 25 or 21 or 18. I'm 50 years old, halfway through, more than halfway through my, my life. And thinking to myself, what? If this is the, this is the end game, I'm out. Either you give me some answers here or I'm out. And I can remember scribbling that on a yellow legal pad that I happened to find on the coffee table in front of me. That's how this all started, Brandon, because I wrote down on that yellow legal pad, you know, I was so angry. Have you ever, ever written a letter when you're so angry you can read the writing three pages deep? Yes. You know, because <laughs> yeah. I was writing so, I was pressing down so hard. What does it take to make life work? What have I done? to deserve a life of such continuing struggle. Tell me the rules. I'll play. I swear to God, I'll play. Just tell me the rules. And after you give me the rules, don't change them. Because it seems to me that they're changing every other day. And then I wrote the last sentence. Either you tell me what I need to know here, or I'm out of here. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And God was, God was running around heaven, you know, calling on the angels. Somebody do something. We can't have a world without Neil. <laughs> no. I, assume, I assume that's what she did because all of a sudden the answers came to me. I make a joke of it because it was an astonishing experience in my life. But in fact, the answers came to me all at once as if, as if I had received some kind of a celestial download. <sighs> and all of it was there. All my questions were answered. But even with the answers to those questions, other questions came up. I said, yeah, but, you know, what about this? Well, what about that? I had a whole bunch of yeah, buts. Yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about that? And those yeah, buts turned into an on-paper dialogue that wound up becoming an ongoing conversation that I called Conversations with God that lasted the better part of a year. And at one point in the middle of that conversation, I was told, you will make of this a book. And many, many people will have access to it. And Brandon, when that happened, I sat there and I remember the moment vividly. I said to myself, ah, ha, ha, ha. now I gotcha. Now I gotcha. Because that's a measurable outcome. Everything else that I've been hearing here has been conceptual in nature. You know, theoretical could be, could not be, who would know? But now here was a statement, the first statement in the entire dialogue 
that was actually measurable. This will one day become a book. You will make of this a book and it will be accessed by many people. That would either actually happen, happen or it wouldn't. And I, I knew, of course, it wasn't going to happen. You know, I could send this thing, my handwritten notes to a, a hundred publishers. I could just see the publisher going out to the workroom floor and saying to his editors, hold the presses. We got a guy here who's talking to God. I don't For think real so. this time, yeah. I don't think so. So I realized there, was, there wasn't a chance in the world that anyone was going to publish this material that I claimed to have been a conversation with God. But in fact, a publisher did decide to do it. And the rest, as they say, is publishing history. It wound up selling millions of copies, being translated into 37 languages, and spawning an eight more books behind it of dialogue because I was continuing to have the experience. It didn't just stop because I sent this thing off to a publisher. I was continuing to have this on again, off again, back and forth question and answer experience. And I wound up with eight more books of dialogue, uh, which have been called the Conversations with God dialogue series. That's my 12-minute answer to your five-minute, I should say, to your five-second question. Be careful if you ask me 10-second questions, you get 10-minute answers. I'm grateful for it. I, I knew you were going to answer that way, and that's why I just enjoy it. I really do. Just just hearing you and your story and the way, because it is inspiring. It's inspiring to other people to know that it's, number one, never too late. Number two, uh, just you've got something of value to offer no matter what your situation. That That's something that's so important. As well as, like I said, your Conversations with God, the book one, I, I have bought and given it away more times than any other book on the planet. And uh, it it then, of course, led me to the communion with God, friendship with God, tomorrow's God, all of these books, which again, we were pointing out on the bookshelf here, you said, I don't, I don't see one of my books. I said, no, you see four, because there's four at least of your books by here. And I only have four because I keep giving them away. And my rule on books is whenever I hand you one, I don't want it back. There's a reason that it came to you. I'm a big fan of synchronicities. And, and that's just really just God or the universe or us, because we are God in the universe, which I came to that understanding because of you. Like I said, this, this show is predicated, the foundation of my understanding about everything is based on your awareness and wisdom, because it brought me so much peace. And it has brought so many people that I've come into contact with peace. I speak a lot about perception and your example about perception from the Conversations with God book series about rain and the ultimate reality is my number one repeatable quote that I always throw out because it gives people the biggest clarity and it gives people the biggest power, powerful feeling to be able to express themselves and say, oh, what is all the way that I view it? And uh, it, it's just a beautiful thing. Like I said, I, I can't thank you enough for the work that you've done. Um, so I am curious, though, if you'd like, let's let's talk about your new book, because I could ask you a million questions, but I do want to talk about your new book and how wonderful it is. So The God Solution is the name of this, and it is absolutely fantastic. Now, I'd like to ask, why is it that, and I'll quote you on this, eight out of ten of us agree about a higher power we can't agree about? You know, and by the way, just so people know, statistics show that that's not a statement I made up out of thin air. Surveys have been taken by uh, by people over the past 15 or 20 years. And all of the anthropological surveys that have been taken by individuals, universities, organizations all point to the same thing. In fact, eight out of 10 human beings on the planet from culture to culture, from country to country, you know, be believe in some sort of higher power but we simply can't find a way to agree on what's true about that higher power. 
What is it? How does it work? What does it want, if anything? How can we interact with it if we can? What's the point of it all? I mean, you know, what, 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 what more is there to know about that? And so we can't seem to come to an agreement about that. The result of which is our inability to agree on that has produced 4,300 individual religions. I didn't make that number up either. Check it out. Just go to Google and type in how many religions are there, known religions on the face of the earth. And they'll tell you 4,300 and some odd number of religions on the face of the earth. Each one claiming to be the word. This is how it is. This is really what's true. And each one claiming their own concept and idea as being accurate with regard to the thing we call God, which has raised a big question for me. And that's the question I hope to answer in the God solution. The question is, is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, about each other, and about ourselves? the understanding of which would change everything. And I'm suggesting that because we don't understand, we don't even understand what we don't understand. We don't even know what we don't know. <laughs> so, so, so we're in this incredible situation where nothing on the planet is working the way it was designed or intended to work. And so what I'm suggesting is that the challenges that we've created an idea around God that reflects our experience of ourselves. Most of the world's religions do teach one fundamental principle. They, many tell us we are made in the image and likeness of God. But what humanity has done in largest measure is create a God who is made in the image and likeness of man. That is, we have come to the conclusion that God must be the way we are. And why we have come to that conclusion is because most of the world's religions teach of a God who is judgmental, condemning, and punishing. Check it out. That's the foundation of not all, but by far the majority of the world's religions. God judges, condemns, and punishes. We live in kind of a little fiefdom a little celestial fiefdom in which God is the dominant factor and God tells us what to do and what not to do and we either obey or we're going to be punished. And not in a small way, but punished with everlasting torture, everlasting damnation. And sometimes for the smallest things, for the smallest, if you please, misbehaviors. When I was a nine-year-old boy, I, was, I remember being told, a son, um, I, I went to a Catholic school. My parents were Catholic, and they sent me to a parochial school. And the priest would come in once a week and teach us what, what's called catechism. In other words, the, the, the doctrines of the Catholic Church. And, and the priest came in once, one week, and he said, you, you all need to know that if you miss Mass on Sunday, we had to go to Mass every Sunday, of course. If you miss Mass on Sunday, without a good excuse, if you're caring for a sick parent, fair enough. If you have to go to work to make a living, okay. But if you, you can't go off and play golf or, you know, or somehow just decide not to go to Mass. If you miss Mass on Sunday, without a good excuse, you will suffer unbelievable torture. Maybe you won't go to hell. You'll probably just go to purgatory. 
I remember raising my nine-year-old hand, father, what's purgatory? <laughs> well, he said, it's not, it's, it's like hell, but it's not forever. I've had a couple of marriages like that, but that's another whole story. <laughs> Just a punchline. Everybody I, lighten up. I like <laughs> but, it. I like but, it. But, 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 but I was told that, you know, purgatory is a place where souls go off uh, to have the, the, the sins burned off their soul because you must be utter perfection before you can return to God the Father in heaven. And if you belong to the wrong religion, I mean, if, if, you don't, if you're not a Roman Catholic, you're not going to purgatory. You're going to hell. You will, you will roast in the fires of hell for everlasting damnation because you decided to become a Baptist. Well, I, I, that I can understand. I mean, Baptists. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, if you're a Lutheran or a Mormon or, God forbid, a Jew yeah. or a Buddhist or a Muslim or belong to any other of the 4,000 faith traditions, or if you don't believe in God at all, if you're committing any of those sins, you will be punished with everlasting damnation. This is the tolerant, unconditionally loving God that we are told that we have. And those who believe in that God tell us, you know, Neil, that's what love does. It's love believes in justice. That's celestial justice. There has to be some just reward and just punishment when you disobey the rules. And the rules were given to us. We all, we all know what the rules are. And if you don't know what the rules are, check with your religion. But you better have the right religion, because if you have the wrong religion, oh my golly, you're going to be in deep trouble. And this, And now, does this really matter that much? Am I making too much of this, folks? No, I'm not. And here's the point I'm making. This is what has created on earth the God dilemma. We have a dilemma here. We believe in a God who behaves in ways that we cannot emulate. We cannot model without creating havoc here on earth. But we have modeled those, be those behaviors because we've been taught to. We've been taught to emulate those behaviors to be like God, or to get as close to God's behaviors as we possibly can, which means that we have the authority. We've been given leave to ourselves be condemning, judging, and punishing. And that's how we are with each other. That's what we call love. We call, we call that a form of love. And so we, 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 we do things that we say we're doing in the name of love that desperately hurt each other, and sometimes even hurt ourselves. And this is what is creating the largest measure of the challenges and problems, the injuries, the hurts, the difficulties that we face as a community of sentient beings on this planet. We can't even agree with each other without, I should say, I wanted to say we can't even disagree. We can't even disagree with each other without demonizing each other. We, we are now calling it a new form of leadership. Leaders now actually bully each other and call each other names, like kids on a playground. One guy's got big ears. One guy's got too big of a nose. One guy's got what we call crazy ideas. You know, we demonize each other, insult each other, and bully each other, and call it leadership. Yeah, that's, our leaders are doing that now. 
Listen to the comments of the man who's running North Korea. Listen to, to what the way he talks to the rest of the world and who, who he thinks he is. To say nothing of other leaders who I will not mention by name. But just look at how our leaders are demonstrating leadership by bullying, insulting, and demonizing anyone who disagrees with them. Is that who we really are as a species? Have we come to a place where we have a worldwide global pandemic and we can't even come together in a way where all the countries coordinate the solution to the problem? We can't even agree on the solution to the problem. We have to make it a political statement whether you're going to wear a little mask or not. <laughs> It becomes a political statement. <laughs> if I may, did you have that queued up and ready to do this? No. I like I it. Just, it's perfect. <laughs> Look no, at that I thing. just it's, it's, it's just a little Kleenex I have next to me. <laughs> but it's torn perfectly. Look at that. That's awesome. I didn't mean to interrupt. Thank you. <laughs> no, but, but, but I mean, it's, it's like, you know, what are we doing to each other? And now, not to make it a, a, the whole show about a downer, but the last negative comment I hope to make, look at the mass killings. The mass murders that are going on every 10 days, every six days on this planet and in the United States of America. What, what, is, what, is, what has happened to us? This is the God dilemma because the God dilemma asks this question. And this is how the book starts off. The book called The God Solution begins by asking a critical question. Hey, you know what? If there really is a God. If there really is a higher power, what good is it doing us? What's the point? The world's a mess. It's falling apart. And the people don't even know how to interact with each other in any kind of civilized way in what we call an advanced civilization. Where is God in all of this? You know, Brandon, if I get asked one question more than any other question these days, that's the question I get asked. Okay, Neil, you say you believe in God. Where is God in all of this? Why doesn't God step in and say, whoa, 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 enough, enough? Because we think that God's job is to intervene directly in the affairs of human beings and create certain things to happen and stop certain other things from happening. But that's not God's job. That's not God's function. God's job is to empower us to create the collaborative and individual outcomes we wish to create on the planet. God, God's greatest joy is to give all of its creations, all the sentient beings in the cosmos, and there is intelligent life elsewhere in the universe, even if there isn't any on Earth. <laughs> but but, but there, there, is, there is intelligent life elsewhere. And so God's greatest joy is to empower every sentient being with the ability to create its own individual and collective reality. But not to get in there and just do it all for us, because then we would have nothing more than that fiefdom that I talked about a minute ago, where God does everything but requires us to pay our dues in order to get good treatment from God. And if we sidestep those rules or step outside or color outside the lines, we get to be in big trouble. And that's the, forgive me, primitive 
infantile understanding that we have about our deity. Now, the God solution. The God solution, the way to solve all of this, is really quite simple. What if we redefined God? What if we decided that, in fact, our information about God has not been totally wrong? The religions of the world are not completely, utterly, and absolutely inaccurate. There's much wisdom in the world's great religions, or they wouldn't have lasted this long. But I want to suggest that they're simply incomplete, that they don't have all the data. All the data is not in yet. And we brazenly think that we have all the data. We're like children who have learned how to add and subtract and think that we know all there is about mathematics. But guess what? There's algebra and geometry and trigonometry and higher mathematics and higher mathematics still and calculus and all the rest. But, so, but we are like those children. Hey, we've learned how to add and subtract. We have all the data that we need. I don't think so. So I've asked that question. Is it possible that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, and about each other, the understanding of which would change everything? And in the God solution, I offer a possible answer to that question. Maybe we have misdefined God. Now, here is my solution. What if we decided that God could be defined with two words? Pure love. When I get to that point in my presentations in public, Brandon, audiences, some guys get up and say, oh, is that it? We sat here for 20 minutes to hear that. We thought you had some good new idea. There's nothing new about that. Everyone agrees that God is love. Who would disagree with that? And then I have to stop. Whoa, 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 wait, relax, relax. I didn't say God is love. Yes, you did. I just heard you. No, no, I didn't say God is love. I said God is pure love. And I used two words rather than one quite deliberately, quite intentionally, and quite specifically, because there's a difference between pure love and what most of us on this planet mean when we use the word love. Yeah, what's the difference? Pure love needs, wants, asks for, and of course demands nothing in return. Zero. Nothing in return. God needs, wants, requires, asks for, and demands nothing in return for the goodness that she showers upon us every day and every minute of every day. And that he chooses to bestow upon every sentient being in the cosmos. So can we imagine, dare we be an idea hero and suggest that maybe we were wrong only about whether the sun revolves around the earth or the earth revolves around the sun. Maybe we're, we're wrong only about the existence of germs or the non-existence of germs or the many other things that we thought we understood completely. Maybe, just maybe, we were wrong about God as well. Maybe God's love truly is unconditional. And if that's true, 
we have a new model that we can emulate. We can now emulate in our politics, in our economics, in our social interactions, and in our spirituality, we can emulate a new way of being with each other. A way of interacting that says, you know what? I don't need, ask for, require, or demand anything from you to be at least civil with you and to be nice with you and to stop bullying you and to stop insulting you. I don't need any of that. I don't need any, anything from you at all to even bestow upon you whatever blessing I may have to share with you. Do you think that might change the world and the way we experience ourselves as a civilization? To me, the answer is patently obvious. So the second half of the book, The God's Solution, talks about how, not, not just what, not just the theory, not just the concept, but the mechanics. Part two of the book is labeled The Mechanics. It's about how to put into practice on a day-to-day -day basis the mechanics of metaphysics, how we can create the reality for which we have yearned for lo these many years, and finally create on the earth, the heaven on earth that, that we were promised that we are capable of producing if we simply change one fundamental, you'll excuse the expression, one fundamental idea about God, that God judges no one, that God condemns no one, that God punishes no one. And why? By the way, God also, I should tell you, forgives no one. I love it, Brandon, when I'm allowed to give talks at churches. I'm sometimes, sometimes invited to go into churches and give a little talk. And I get there up there in the pulpit and I say, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see you here. I've come here to share you, with you an important message. God will never forgive you for anything. <laughs> and the place goes bananas. They, 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 can't, they can't hold the idea. I said, no, 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 you, you know, God doesn't forgive you and never will forgive you for anything because you can't possibly hurt, injure, damage, frustrate, anger, or annoy God in any way. Any more than a three-year-old child would need to be punished with everlasting punishment by you for doing what a three-year-old child would do. Because God's very clear that human beings are a very, very, young. I, was, I want to use the word primitive species. Yes, even today, a very primitive species, acting like children. And God understands that. And so that God doesn't judge our actions by godly standards, if you please, any more than we would judge the actions of a two or three-year-old by the standards of a person with a doctorate in human psychology. We simply wouldn't do that. So, we have no need, you know, my three-year-old granddaughter, in fact, spilled the milk a, a couple of weeks ago at her third birthday party. All the children in the neighborhood were invited in, and Grandma created this wonderful birthday party and brought out her cake, and little three-year-old granddaughter reached for the cake and knocked over the glass of milk. Oh, wow, 
out and spilled the milk all over grandpa's lap. And grandpa said to the three-year-old child, go to your room and don't come out for the rest of the year. I'll teach you should know better. I'll teach you. <laughs> no, of course, grandpa didn't do that. What grandpa said to the three-year-old was, it's okay, sweetheart. Grandpa forgives you. Mm. No, grandpa doesn't even forgive the child. What does grandpa do to the child if he doesn't punish or forgive? He hugs the child and brings the child even closer and says, sweetheart, it's okay. I love you. And I will always love you. And you know what, guys? I could be wrong about this, but I'd like to think that God is at least as nice as my grandpa. So the God solution is about how we can all be at least as nice as who God really is. The source and the demonstration of pure love, which is, by the way, who we all are at our basis. We simply have not trained ourselves to allow ourselves to believe that such an extraordinary gift could be ours, that such an extraordinary idea could be true. It would take an idea hero to suggest such a thing. And that's where you come in. Man, I'm just, uh, I, I knew this was going to be incredible. I, I, was not prepared for this being this incredible. I, I knew it would be. Um, so I, I have a question for you. Uh, your, your wife's wonderful question when she interrupted you in the middle of a chapter, not interrupted, when she interjected just a question, uh, which was, uh, if, if each of us could recreate our own religion, what would that look like? And I think that this is a great example and a good model of what you're talking about, uh, is that this it, it gives people the power to entertain the thought experiment that if you could create a religion, what would that look like? Would it be one of oppression? Would it be one of separatism? Would it be one of pure love? And I think that if most people answer that question honestly to themselves, your God solution would be the model for a new religion. Now, I hate saying religion because it's got such a, a stain on it. But a new, I, faith, a new faith tradition. That. I, I like that even better. New faith tradition. Absolutely. And, you know, I went I went through a, a pretty tough time with God. Um, not not like you did, because I wasn't in the same situation. I, I had the same anger uh, with it, though, just simply because I felt like, OK, is this if this is all up to my eternal soul, if uh, this is the way, then why are the representatives that I'm supposed to be listening to in one particular religion beheading people in another particular religion? religion, uh, molesting children, for instance, and another particular religion, these aren't the stewards that I feel like, even as, as a young person, that I felt was the model for exemplary behavior and godly things. Uh, it, it didn't sit right with me. This is about the time that I got your book, The First the Conversations clergy, by with the way, God. The clergy of a particular religion, not just members of the religion, the actual clergy, the priests of the religion, abusing young children. It's it's horrible. And then they just move them off. They don't, you know, and there's and we all know who we're talking about here, guys. But what I'm saying is, is that these aren't the representatives that you want. If I whenever I was seeking true spirituality and whenever I came to it, your book was handed to me at the exact right time. 
I, I feel like it offered all of the answers to pacify my anger with what I thought God was at the time, because it, it wasn't that. You you gave me a greater, more freeing understanding about the possibility of this concept in particular, especially that we're all individualistic expressions of God. So we're all just God experiencing itself subjectively. So then, of course, God's not going to judge itself because it's God. That's a human quality. We judge ourselves for mistakes that we made or missteps that we make. One of the hardest things to wrap for some people to wrap their mind around, I found it very comforting, is that there's no cosmic justice. Justice happens here on this planet, uh, in this plane, in this reality. There's no after horrible place to go. You're the reason I don't believe in hell. And I love that. It's been the most comforting thing. Now, the, another point to that is I don't go around pushing old ladies down the stairs. I don't go around lying and cheating and doing all this crap everywhere. I, but don't I, play cards with you. I've heard from people. I've heard from <laughs> friends. Do not play cards with Brandon because if he can cheat at poker, he will find a way. I will, I will watch do him it. closely when he has that deck poker. in his hands. <laughs> Hey, yeah, now it's it Uno you got to watch out for. I'm a shark at Uno for sure. But the the great thing about it is, like I said, this is so freeing. And it's not a, a life without consequence that you come to the realization of. What I came to the realization of personally was it's so freeing, it's so wonderful, it's so warm, that it becomes one of those things. And even Bill Hicks said, what's going to happen to the arms industry when, he, when we find out we're all one? You know, um, And I, I think that there's motives behind this. I think that there are control mechanisms in place to perpetuate uh, kind of the divide and conquer tactic but for for means of whatever reason but I don't I don't think that's the real way to go and I think that like I said you and all of your works have been very consistent with the wisdom with the message and with just the warmth and and sir I got to tell you again I like I have 30 times now changed my life man changed my life and I can't tell you how many people have handed that book to that have said oh my gosh this is amazing I uh, bought my wife a copy and uh, she's just blown away and it's just one of those things like I said I cannot thank you enough which is why the God solution is the perfect next line to go with because you do straight out front you give the statistics about the 8 out of 10 agree that we're a religion but we don't agree what that is and then you give the dilemma and then you immediately propose solutions now I wanted to ask you on part two with your mechanics uh, the idea but between collective versus individuality and then or versus individual rather and then consciousness versus consciousness versus unconsciousness if you don't mind would you just elaborate on those and why they're so important that understanding yes well see we are creating uh, our reality uh, at two levels um, we're creating our exterior reality that is the exterior situation circumstances and events of our lives uh, collaboratively there are very few things that occur in our life that uh, we could even, if we wanted to, create unilaterally, that is individually. Even falling down the stairs and breaking our ankle at some level was created by whoever built those stairs and put the, you know, put the steps too far apart or they, or, they, or they didn't lay the carpet right or something else or the lighting wasn't good or something. Or, or in fact, they, the, the event could be created by those who take care of us afterward, by the, by the people who come by and, and rush us to the hospital because we broke our leg or whatever happened. So the, the point is that the exterior events of our life are created collaboratively. And that's not unimportant because um, not, a, not an unimportant piece of information because our collaborative creations uh, emerge from our collaborative consciousness. That is what we consciously understand life to be about, how it works, how it functions, why it works the way it works, and how to make it work the way we would choose to have it work. All of our ideas about that play into the collaborative creations that we produce. Our, our uh, individual 
um, reality is created by each of us unilaterally. That is, I decided I decide internally what I wish to experience of the collectively created external reality. So I need to know that there's a huge difference. Martin Nelson Mandela is a wonderful example of this. You know, he was caught up in a collective reality, which threw him into prison for uh, what was it, 23 or 27 years? Anyway, a long, a long period of time that he was behind bars. When he was released from prison in South Africa by the government there, um, his, it was said that, and it's documented that his jailers, his guards, the jailers actually wept because he had become over the years he was behind bars, their best friend. They were going to him for advice, for insight, for comfort, for counseling, when they had relationship, occupational health, and all sorts of financial difficulties, and they didn't know where to go to get advice or to get insight or to get a, a deeper understanding. They were going to him, and he was using his time in prison as a ministry. And then when he was released, his jailers wept. They said that they were losing their best friend. So he is a prime example of someone who decided, you know what, I, I see what the collective experience has been, has been created, but I, I don't, on an individual basis, I don't choose to create my inner, my singular, my individual reality based on that data. I'm using different data. I'm using a whole different idea of who I am. So this is explained in much greater detail in the book, how we can separate and delineate between our individual reality and our collective reality. And also it, it's delineated there uh, in the text of that book, how to know the difference between our conscious and our unconscious uh, um, creation. That most of us are using metaphysics unconsciously. That is, that is, that is, we're not aware of the power that is vested in us, the higher power that exists within every one of us. Let me make this analogy, because you said something earlier about a half hour or so ago. You said, we are gods, you know, and then you went on and said something else, but I thought, you know, we need to, we need to clarify that. I don't want anybody to uh, leave this, this uh, broadcast thinking, oh, Oh, Brandon and Neil think that we are God. Uh, uh, well, individualistic expressions. Yes. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just uh, individualistic expressions of God. I I misspoke on that, but I you, well, 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 but I, but I, I want to make it really clear. The book tells us that we are to God. Our relationship to God would be uh, analogous to, or the same as, the relationship of a wave to the ocean. When the wave arises from the ocean, it is not separate from the ocean. It is not something other than the ocean. It is simply the ocean in an individual expression, a magnificent, powerful, glorious expression, but individuated from the ocean itself, an individual expression of what it is, which is the ocean. And when that expression is complete, the wave recedes back into the ocean whence it came. And that is exactly a, a wonderful metaphor exactly our relationship to God, that we, we are not God the whole, God the total, but we are that which God is in individuated expression. Now, when we understand that, it begins to change our awareness of why we're here on the earth. You know, what are we doing here? What is the point? The key questions in life 
are as follows. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what am I going to do about that? Who am I? An individuation of divinity. Where am I? In the realm of the physical. Why am I where I am? Because it is in this environment that I have the opportunity, where things exist in relationship to other things, where I live in a contextual field, where the law of opposites plays its effect, where there is, in fact, up and down, left and right, here and there, good and, if you please, evil. Now and then, big and small, me and God. And so I live in this contextual field. In order for me to experience that aspect of the field that I wish to experience, I can't even experience tall unless I've known short. I can't experience fast unless I've known slow. I can't experience here unless I've known over there. And so, what we do is we come to a conclusion judge not and neither condemn, but be a light unto that which is different and other than you. In fact, even go so far as to love. Love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and be good to those who do harm to you. I mean, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Or if you really want to go to the platinum rule and just sidestep the golden rule, the platinum rule, Milton J. Bennett, a wonderful sociologist in America, came up with a new idea, not the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The platinum rule, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Mm. What an idea. Yeah. What oh. an earth-changing idea. What a life-altering concept. Is he an idea hero or what? Absolutely. So here's the opportunity that we all have. We can step into tomorrow in a brand new way, a way that changes everything about how we interact with each other and even how we interact with ourselves by deciding that we are an arising of pure love and that we intend to demonstrate that in every way in every day of our life regardless of what energy is coming toward us we will even do as the buddha suggested you surely must be familiar with the wonderful story that the buddha told he, he, he calls this the, the axiom, I think, of the sword. If, if you were to be met by a, a bunch of raiders on the, on, the, on the road, and they steal everything, and they even take your clothes, and they even, they even hurt you and, and, and take everything from you, if you have one negative thought about them other than compassion for their state of mind, you have not listened to a word that I have taught you. So it isn't just Jesus or this particular prophet or this particular teacher who's told us these things the prophets of every major faith tradition on the planet have been telling us for centuries you really are pure love simply be who you are or as shakespeare would say the question is to be or not to be that is the question and if you think that what I'm saying here is totally outlandish, remember what else Shakespeare wrote in his marvelous writings. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Are we ready to be idea heroes? 
are we ready to embrace the God solution? Your life, the way you live it from tomorrow on, will be your answer. It's as simple as that. Mr. Walsh, I, I can't thank you enough. I, I can't. Uh, the warmth, the wisdom, the inspiration. Uh, your new book will be linked in the bottom in the show notes down there, guys. Please go check this thing out. I, I've already read it. I plan on reading it many, many, many more times and then giving it away to somebody who really needs it because everybody needs this. Uh, Mr. Walsh, I can't thank you for what you've done personally for me on a, on a major basis but also for the, our conversation here today. And that's the beauty of, of your book, The Conversations with God. What it reminds me of or makes me think of is it, we're all having a conversation with God every conversation we have. And I took the idea from you is that every opportunity, every experience you have in life is an opportunity to express and to know that which you truly are. And that's what it is. You give something away, they're grateful. I'm 17 times more grateful just to having, because if you want to know what it's like to have something, give it away. It, it it makes you realize that you've got one more opportunity to be who you really are. And that is- Could you do me a favor? In every moment. Yes, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but could you do me a, a, a lasting, a final favor? Absolutely. From now on, for the rest of your life, would you call me Neil and not Mr. Walsh? <laughs> yes, sir. I apologize. I was raised well. I'll blame my uh, no, no, I my manners like a really on that. Old man. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just I'm just Neil. I'm just Neil. But here, I want to leave you with a final. Here's you're supposed to enter into universe saying, Neil. Do you have a final thought you'd like to leave us with? Uh, you know what? Actually, that that brings me to a point. Neil, did you have a final thought that you'd like to leave us with, sir? Strange, you should ask. <laughs> but I do, in fact, have a a tool that I would like to invite people to take with them from this experience. Every day you're going to encounter other people for the first time. Could be the person across the pillow, the person across the room, the person across the house, the person across the street, the person across town, or the person across the world. But before this day is out, you will have encounters, perhaps more than one, with another human being for the first time that day. Each time you anticipate a meeting, an encounter, an interaction of some sort with another human being, whoever it might be, I invite you to think this thought to yourself. Don't say it out loud, because you probably will be misunderstood. Until our consciousness is raised collectively, there's a good chance you'll be misunderstood. But allow yourself to say it in your mind, just to yourself. Be a real idea hero and say this to yourself prior to that first meeting. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life will be made better this day for my having passed through it. I promise you. Be careful. Be careful if you use that tool for the next 90 days without fail prior to meeting another human being for the first time that day, your life will change forever. Neil, thank you. Thank you, sir. Honestly, bottom of my heart. This has been one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. I cannot tell you how grateful I am. Thank you. The wisdom will echo throughout time. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you, Neil, not sir. <laughs> I Well, like I said, um, guys, all the ways to find this gentleman, if you haven't already, will be linked down in the show notes. His book, The God Solution, on Amazon. I will go ahead and link this as well. Uh, fantastic wisdom, wonderful read. As always, incredibly enlightening, incredibly warm, and I can't thank you enough, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brandon. It was a joy to be here with you, and I appreciate what you're doing on the planet as well. Blessed be. Ooh, Mr. Neil Donald Walsh. His new book, guys, The God Solution, The Power of Pure Love, is linked below in the show notes. Check this thing out. It's absolutely wonderful. It's just as warm and wise as all of his books are. Again, he's been the architect of my perception, guys. I know that millions and millions of people have been affected by this man and what he does, and he's so humble about it. He doesn't see it as that big of a thing, but we all know that it is, and that's what makes him even more gracious and, and wonderful. So uh, a massive thanks. I, I can't thank him enough. Uh, that was incredible, and we will definitely have him back on in the future. Uh, part of the Soul Tribe now, so thank you, Neil, for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, as far as this show goes, guys, we just launched our new website. It's going to be expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where all of the links to YouTube, to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of them are there, as well as the Patreon. So Patreon, guys, if you want to contribute to the show, if you find it valuable in any way and you have the means to do so, uh, go ahead and contribute if that's something that you feel called to do. Uh, it, it helps keep the show going. We are incredibly grateful to those members who have signed up and as well as we are incredibly grateful for the feedback. If you guys want to contact me, say anything you want about the show. I, I'm always grateful for the interaction. You guys are wonderful. I have the best audience in the world. So I wanted to thank you guys for that as well from the bottom of my heart. So take the wisdom that Neil has in his information as well as this uh, episode here. Uh, take it into your day-to-day, -day, guys. It's not hard. Pick up a piece of litter. Uh, you know, smile at a stranger. Buy somebody you don't even know a meal, a book of stamps. Something small goes a long, long way to the impact of humanity as a whole. We are a co-collective creative. Never forget that. We're all in this together, guys. Uh, get out of the left-hand lane. If I can be selfish, just move on over there. It's fine. That's a passing lane, and that's okay. Uh, as well as the main message that I want you guys to take away from all of this is just to be good to one another. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>